We're coming to you live with some breaking news, some unfortunate news. There are reports that this was indeed a planned terror attack. You may have heard by now of the bridge attack that happened on the U.S.-Canadian border. According to a report from Fox News, this is said to have been a planned terror attack. It is believed that there are, and it has been found that there were so many explosives within this vehicle, it was going at a very high speed. I'm going to bring you some video. I'm going to bring you some comments from Trudeau. I'm going to give you an update from the White House, and we're going to dissect all of this because this is very, very serious right now. We've been warned, have we not, by the FBI that this might happen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. I am Trish Regan. This is the video recorded earlier today at the bridge there. This is at the Niagara Falls crossing, right? Niagara Falls, New York into Niagara Falls, Canada. I've been on that bridge many times myself, having visited Buffalo where I have family. So this is the location where that happened. We just heard from Justin Trudeau moments ago. They have closed all of the border crossings there in Canada. We have learned that the U.S. is interested in closing border crossings here as well. About time, right? Legacy Precious Metals is our sponsor of the show, one 5960 We are brought to you in part by Legacy Precious Metals. If you're interested in investing in gold, do check them out. Again, breaking news to tell you about right now. I want to go straight to Justin Trudeau, who was on Canadian television. This comes to us via CNN. Take a look. There are a lot of questions, and we are following up to try and get as many answers as rapidly as possible. Uh, we are in close contact with U.S. officials, and we'll continue to work closely with them. Uh, we will continue to be engaged. We will provide updates. Uh, updates I can give right now is there are four border crossings that are right now closed, Rainbow Bridge, Whirlpool Bridge, Queenston Bridge, and Peace Bridge. Uh, additional measures are being uh, contemplated and activated at all border crossings across the country. Uh, we are taking this extraordinarily seriously. And uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, I will have to excuse myself now uh, to go get further uh, further uh, updates and uh, work on this very serious situation. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Serious indeed. In fact, we have heard that we will not hear from President Biden today. He's being briefed on all of this. And this is sort of an all hands on deck situation. It's obviously a very important travel weekend. The Buffalo Airport is now saying that one can expect many more delays. They are increasing security there at the airport, as you can imagine, in light of what has transpired. If you are just joining us right now, there was an explosion earlier today around 11.15 at the Rainbow Bridge, which connects New York, Niagara Falls, New York, to Niagara Falls, Canada. And this is sort of the immigration checkpoint that you go through as you're crossing into Canada. It was believed at first that the truck may have been coming from Canada going into the U.S. That has now changed. It is believed it was going from the U.S. into Canada and going at a very high speed. I want to show you some videos, some photos. This comes to us via some sources, including the New York Post, as well as the Daily Mail, where they have had these pictures up. Just really uh, look at that. Look at that incredible explosion. We have learned that the two people, both the driver and the passenger that were in the vehicle, they are both deceased. This is the New York Post. They're talking about the blast at the bridge, as you can see. And thank goodness, no one else was killed. We have learned of some other injuries. One was a border official. 
but that person not uh, suffering from serious, serious injuries. It's amazing when you think about it, because when you look at the pictures of that explosion, it was so extraordinary that you would think, and again, I'll show you the video here, you would think it would have been so much worse. Just an enormous explosion, an enormous sound that went off there. You can see at 1122 this morning there from the security tapes. And it has been reported by Fox News. I should point out that our FBI, the FBI has not confirmed that publicly, but Fox is reporting that this was indeed an attempted terror attack. Let's get to some of that. Um, Again, taking a look at this really just horrific video of this massive explosion that is being circulated right now online. And you can imagine people are on edge. People are saying, wait a second, are we safe? I mean, it's it's something that we've been addressing over and over and over again right here on the Trish Regan Show. I've been hitting this, pounding this. We've talked about the ease by which one can come across the U.S. border, certainly on the Mexican side. The Canadian side perhaps has been a different story, but nonetheless, we're seeing obviously how vulnerable either side can be in light of if somebody wants to do something really horrific and deadly. Well, are we prepared to handle this? I mean, our intelligence officials are warning us. They came out with a warning actually for New York on Monday warning that there could be Hamas-style attacks. Clearly, there was a massive failure of intelligence, both in Israel and here in the U.S., in terms of being on guard for the horror that transpired in Israel with 1,400 innocent people being slaughtered by a terrorist organization. That caught everyone off guard. But Christopher Ray, head of the FBI, has been warning almost daily that we might suffer from something like that, like Israel suffered from here, and that we need to be alert. Here is the head of the FBI. Discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. Yeah, well, let, let's let's hope they know what they're doing. Let's hope they know what they are doing because it's incredible how badly both the U.S. and Israel, in terms of their intelligence organizations, were blindsided by what happened in Israel. And we have to hope that there's going to be nothing at all similar here. If you're just joining us, we've been looking at some of this video. We've been looking at some of the photos of the explosion there that happened earlier today on the U.S.-Canada border. New York and Canada, Niagara Falls. I have crossed this many, many times. There's the New York side of Niagara Falls. I've I've been, again, I I have family in the area. So it's kind of like, you know, one of the things that you do, especially if there's anyone new in town, right? You go to Niagara Falls. Canadian side has always been a little bit more picturesque. Anyway, you would go over the bridge to get to the Canadian side. And, you know, years ago, it was actually pretty loosey-goosey. You could kind of go pretty easily. And in recent years, that security has been stepped up. You can imagine the security very, very intense right now. We are getting word that they are looking at whether or not to close other borders here in the U.S. All the borders with Canada, as we just heard from Justin Trudeau, have been closed. But what is kind of remarkable about all of this, right, is that we 
should have anticipated this for sure, without any doubt. And it, it should not come as a surprise. I mean, you've got Christopher Ray hitting us over the head with it uh, daily, right? He's making sure that everybody knows it's possible something like that could happen here in the U.S. On Monday, the governor of New York was warned that there could be a Hamas-style attack in New York. And so now she's working with the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force to monitor all of the entry points into New York. Now, she's come out on a, to, on a tweet and said that, you know, she's being very vigilant on all of this and that she's watching what's happening in Buffalo. She's actually en route to Buffalo. You've got Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, who's also saying that this is something that they're taking very, very seriously. You have cars coming into Buffalo Niagara a- International Airport, which are being checked right now, multiple security checks. So they're saying, look, if you are traveling in or out of Buffalo, you can expect to have additional screening. But, but can we take a look at what the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, was saying just hours before all of this? After she got the intelligence report that said you might be at risk in New York, she said, yeah, 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 we're going to work with intelligence to make sure we're not. And by the way, I just want you to know, I just want you to know, we're working on making sure that we have media literacy programs put in place for young students so that they can tell what's disinformation and what's not. I mean, come on. Like, you've just been confronted with an intelligence report that says New York's at risk, and your answer is this? Watch, watch. Today I'm directing the Director of Division of Homeland Security and Emergency Services to develop media literacy tools for K-12 through in our public schools. This will teach students and even teachers to help understand how to spot conspiracy theories and misinformation, disinformation, and online hate. Start talking about what we're seeing out there. Give the teachers the tools they need to help these conversations in school. And by teaching younger New Yorkers about how to discern between digital fact and digital fiction, we can better inoculate them from hatred and the spread of it and help prepare them for a very fast-moving and often confusing world. (laughs) Okay. Okay, like, can we also maybe devote some resources to securing the borders? Securing the borders with Canada, making sure that we have enough checkpoints? And yes, you're going to do everything you can to root out this hate. I I don't know how you're going to do that when you keep taking more and more people into this country that don't really subscribe to the same value set that historically America has subscribed to. And that's very clear. Just take a look at the squad and where they're at, right? And they want you to know, by the way, Kathy, Joe Biden, anybody out there that they consider part of the establishment Dems, that they're not really on your side because guess what? They're not on Israel's side. They are on the side of a terrorist organization that has just massacred 1,400 people. And because of that, and because of the way they have effectively integrated themselves, I I mean, these politicians, Rashida, Ilhan Omar, who said, you know, some people just did something when she refers to 9-11. When you think of uh, all of them, uh, Jamal uh, Jamal Bowman, who's like, uh, you know, standing up for 
Muslim Americans, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, yes, everybody deserves the chance to practice their religion freely, but we also got to be quite cautious about the people, and I'd lump these guys in there with us, that don't value and love America for what she is. And so if you hate the country and you feel that everybody that is uh, well wealthier than you, lighter skinned than you, has a better shot at something, well, that's not America. That's not who we are. I'm sorry. And you know what? I know there's, there's pockets of bad stuff and there's racism and there's this, that, and the other, but you show me a better place any day of the week, right? This is still, this is the kind, and we've got to keep it that way. So we've got to be really, 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 really careful about who's coming here. We got to keep tabs on this stuff. You can't just open the borders up because, you know, somebody named George Soros wants you to, not to pick on George, but, you know, the Open Border Society, the, all that. You know, we got to be practical. We got to be thoughtful. We got to be welcoming. But we got to be welcoming to the people that want to help us build a better nation and not sit around and complain all the time. Here's the Homeland Security Director, Mr. Mayorkas who can't answer some pretty simple questions. I want to play this sound for you because in light of everything that's happening, I think this should be of concern. Homeland Security ought to know the answers to these things. How many people has this administration let in by encountering, processing, dispersing, or that have come in as a known uh, or, or unknown Godaway? What, what, approximately. I don't need an exact number. So what do we got? Senator, let me, let me, let me I, say. I need numbers. I, again, don't filibuster me. How many people has this administration led into the country? Let, let me say at the outset that uh, our job would be a lot easier if the broken immigration system was no, fixed. No, Mr. Secretary, I want a, a number. How many people have you led into this country? I, I should also How, uh, Okay, let, I'll, I'll give you the number. It's about 6 million. Yeah. Okay, 6 million. 6 million. And by the way, I want to point to some dated numbers. These numbers were effective mid-October. In mid-October, October 1st was the start of the, the new so-called year for the government's immigration program. We had learned that there were some 2,000 Chinese people who had come here into the U.S. just in that sort of two-week span, which is kind of a lot, right? And then there were over 100 that were on the terror watch list coming from the likes of Afghanistan and Pakistan, and Yemen, and Syria. And, you know, you start to add this stuff up, and you start to get a little bit worried, as I think we we all are right now. Here's Nikki Haley, who's running for president. I don't think she has much of a shot, but she's been climbing in New Hampshire. It is going to be Donald Trump, so long as he decides he really wants it. So long as, by the way, the system actually officially will allow it. I'm going to have a little bit more on that in the J6 tapes coming up. But first, let's go to Nikki Haley, because Nikki Haley said something that sort of shocked me and seemed very out of step with where we are in the here and now, where we are in terms of our um, willingness to take people in from places like Gaza. And I say this with, uh, you know, not be trying, trying to be overly political, but just trying to be realistic. I remember when there was an opportunity to take migrants from Syria and New Hampshire, where I was born and raised, live free or die New Hampshire. The Democrats there would have nothing to do with it. I'm talking Maggie Hassan, Jean. They said, no, we're not taking any migrants from Syria, period. End of story. Because they saw that as problematic for New Hampshire and for the culture, et cetera. Anyway, Nikki Haley, 
just went on CNN shortly after October 7th and had this to say about taking migrants from Gaza because you see nobody else wants them, not even Iran, who, by the way, greenlit this entire operation. Go look at the Wall Street Journal story on it. Here's Nikki. There are so many of these people who want to be free from this terrorist rule. They want to be free from all of that. And America's always been sympathetic to the fact that you can separate civilians from terrorists. And that's what we have to do. But right now, we can... Well, <laughs> actually, we haven't always been so sympathetic to that. I mean, I can think about the, the camps that they put Asians in who were American and were living here back in in World War II. Look, we haven't always been sympathetic. We like to think that we are. I think that sometimes America does what it needs to do, rightly or wrongly, right? And I'm not saying it's necessarily the right thing, but I think from the self-preservation standpoint, the more people like Rashida Tlaib who are out there trying to galvanize the extremists on the left, the more problems you're going to have. I mean, extremism either way, okay? It, It cuts both ways. And extremism is never a good thing. And so if you're bringing a lot of people in here to our country that don't like this country, and then you've got politicians that are riling them up, well, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. So I, I think we need to be a little bit more thoughtful about this. I played some sound from you for the other day from former Secretary of State Kissinger, who's really up there in years. But Kissinger was making the point that you have to understand culturally who's coming in, and the adaptation model is actually really important. They used to talk about the melting pot versus the salad bowl, and, you know, America was very proud of being a melting pot. We would take sort of the best of every culture, and we would mold it all together and come out with something that was uniquely American. And that is a model by which we stood and we were proud of. And nowadays, unfortunately, it's more the salad bowl, right? Because everybody's doing their own thing. They're all off on their own. It's not even salad bowl. You could call it something else entirely. It's like a bento box, right? Like everything is split up. You're over here. You're over here. Nothing touches each other. And yet, and yet, the elites have established through CRT, ESG, DEI, a system by which we have to show tremendous favoritism to anybody who's over here. It's wacky, guys. It's really, really wacky. And I think has turned America effectively on itself in a way that is not, not conducive for a harmonious place. And so now we're looking at the sort of after effects, if you would, of all of this right now. And going back to the video, if you have not seen it, going back to some of this footage here, this is tough. This is, I mean, this you look at what a massive explosion this was. I have the surveillance video I want to show you here. Take a look. This coming to us, and you can see that big explosion. They were driving at a, an incredible speed right into this. And Fox News at present, only Fox is reporting this, that it was indeed believed to be a terror attack. The FBI is investigating it. The New York government is involved, as we mentioned, Kathy Holschel, who was off the mark clearly yesterday trying to gravitate towards other stuff. I mean, this is part of the problem. We have not had our eye on the ball, now have we? I mean, we've been too obsessed with the elementary school parents that are showing up at the school board meeting saying, hmm, Maybe, maybe, maybe this kind of material is really not appropriate for my my little sixth grader to be reading. And that, as far as the FBI has been concerned, is the big, big threat. So we've been distracted. We haven't been focused on, if you ask me, the real, real challenges. I mean, when Homeland Security, as I said, can't answer this, you got a problem. Went in 
by encountering, processing, dispersing, or that have come in as a known or, or unknown Godaway. What, what, approximately. I don't need an exact number. So what do we got? Senator, let me, let me, let me say. I, I need numbers. I, again, don't filibuster me. How many people has this administration led into the country? Let, let me say at the outset that uh, our job would be a lot easier if the broken immigration system was uh, no, Oh, yeah, he wants to fix immigration. By the way, I don't disagree. Let's people? fix it. Let's fix it. Let's fix it. But you ought to know how many people have come in. The answer, as I showed you earlier, is 6 million. 6 million people have come in, and, and we don't know where they are. So how is, I mean, that effectively leaves us in a tremendously vulnerable position. Do you think that happens anywhere else? I mean, good luck. You try going to Australia or New Zealand or Switzerland or China, for that matter. They're not going to just say, hey, you know, walk in. It's going to be kind of a hard thing to do. But we have been so distracted by politics that we have been asleep at the switch. And so we have made ourselves effectively a sitting duck. With that in mind, I want to turn right now, I want to turn to the January 6th tapes, some of which have now been released. You may have seen Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, is releasing 44,000 hours worth of tape. I think this is so good, by the way, guys. We needed this. I, I say this as a journalist. I crave as much information as I can because I want to be able to look at it. I want to be able to show stuff to you guys. I want us all to be able to form our own decisions and our own opinions on anything that's out there. But when you hide stuff and you won't let us see it, well, then that is what gives birth to a lot of concern. Rightly so. So it's critical that we have this kind of transparency. 44,000 hours of tape and you can't release any? Really? Like security is that, that, that big an issue? Can you not just like, you know, blur out certain sections? Well, Mike Johnson eventually decided that, yeah, you know what? You can do that. And we can do this in a way that protects the integrity of the building, protects people that are there, and also enables Americans to see what really went down. So I'm going to show you some of this footage, and we're going to compare and contrast it with the footage that Nancy Pelosi's daughter shot and that played in like a loop on television and, of course, in the January 6th hearings. This is why so many members of Congress now on the GOP side are saying, hey, we need another set of hearings because people actually need to see this. Look. Okay, so you're seeing some people just walking back and forth there on Capitol Hill. Seems peaceful enough, like walking right through. It's like they open they open the doors. They said, "Hey, come on in, come on in, come one, come all." Everything looks, you know, pretty okay. Here they are again, walking through the Capitol building, and you've got police officers standing off to the side. Everybody seems to be pretty peaceful. So this is not exactly what we we heard, right? Like, remember what Nancy Pelosi was telling us? And I'm not saying that all 44,000 hours of this tape looks like that. By the way, I haven't seen all the tape. And it's going to be quite a project for people to go through the 44,000 hours worth of tape. But nonetheless, you know, this is kind of rather innocuous. Here you've got somebody actually kind of greeting the guy, puts his hand on his back, helping people through. Okay, here you go. You see all the officers there. That doesn't look like the violence that we heard about from Nancy Pelosi. Now, again, that's just a small representation. So 
all the more reason for us to see everything, everything, every single little bit of it, because all we really got to see, the only thing we got to see inside the Capitol building came from a woman who had a very definite narrative and then used her daughter to employ it. Nancy Pelosi, who was then Speaker of the House, knew that there was going to be some kind of commotion. She could have called Capitol Hill police. She didn't. She could have escalated the situation. She didn't. Instead, she had her daughter come with her to work that day. Her daughter, who was going to shoot a documentary for HBO, but then wound up selling the footage to CNN. CNN billed it as their exclusive, but it wasn't CNN cameramen or producers that were actually accumulating this video. It was the daughter of the Speaker of the House. And just remember that, okay? I want you to remember that. Again, in the interest of transparency, why are we having to look at something that was edited by a woman, Alexandra Pelosi, who clearly was going to be way more in sync with mummy, right, than she was with trying to get the true story out there? By the way, documentary film producer. That's like tip off number one. She's not from the news business. All right. This is not a news thing. This is a documentary film, which means it has an opinion. It has a bias. And they're going to do everything they can to make sure they reinforce that bias by way of the video they shoot and the video they use and the video they choose. This aired, I believe, on ABC News, where they did mention it. Some people mentioned it initially, and CNN initially mentioned it too, but then it kind of got lost in the shuffle, of course. Nobody comes, I'm going to punch him out. This is oh, my no, mom. I would pay this. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. The footage was shot by filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, the speaker's daughter, for an HBO documentary. She was with her mother as she fled the Capitol. Are you talking national honor? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We have got to get finished the proceedings or else it would have happened. Later, she can be heard checking in with Vice President Mike. Yeah, later she can be heard checking in with Vice President Mike Pence, trying to calm him down, blah, 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 blah. You see, there was a story. There was a documentary film producer, for goodness sakes, in residence, literally to capture it all on camera, and to tell the story. Now, that doesn't mean that Donald Trump didn't need to fall for it. I mean, I am of the belief that had he said, you know what, all fine, you guys do what you want to do, bye-bye, I'll be back, and you ride off on your white horse. I mean, already people want him back, right? In droves, like the polls are overwhelming, Biden cannot win in 2024, at least at the current state of things. But can you imagine if they didn't have this to campaign on? Because what they're going to campaign on, I already saw some sound. I'm not going to play it for you, but, you know, Morning Joe the other day, you got Joe Scarborough on there going, oh, my gosh, he's going to execute everyone who's his enemy. It's like, wow. I mean, the problem is they said he wouldn't give up power. He would not go willingly. And then he kind of fed the beast, right, that media beast, because I was like, okay, you guys are like sort of, that's, that's, a little, that's a little much. But then when he wouldn't go, et cetera. So then they, they're able to run with that. And they're going to run with this all day to Sunday, over and over and over again. So we're stuck with that, right? That's going to be how they try and win the election. They scare everybody into saying, oh, you can't elect Donald Trump because if you elect Donald Trump, democracy will never be the same. And then they'll just keep going back to Nancy's video if they can. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. Right, because she's so scared. 
The footage was shot by filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, the speaker's daughter, for an HBO documentary. She was with her mother. Okay, as she so it's kind of this panicked move. As she's as trying to escape and she's going to her bunker. And yet, when you look at this footage, it really does tell a very different story. Of course, you don't have the spooky sound effects that Alexander, her filmmaker daughter, added to the footage, which was then played over and over again. I mean, it, it, it's one side of the story. I was academically a historian. I was a history major, specialized in early U.S. colonial history, because you know what? I love our founding fathers. I will always love our founding fathers, and I have tremendous admiration for them and that particular time in history. But I will tell you, as a historian, what is it that you need, just like a journalist? You need both sides, for goodness sakes. You can't go with just one side. And so even though I don't think Trump necessarily did himself any favors— in the end, right, because they're just going to keep going back to the well, going back to the well, going back to the well. Whether or not they succeed with that, we'll see in 24. But you can't just present one side, and that's all they did. So, yeah, we kind of do need another whole set of January 6 hearings. We need to see the video of people walking back and forth peacefully through the Capitol building because it's as though that never happened. And if that never happened, then you're allowing one side of the narrative to dominate, 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 dominate. I do recall the other day Rashida Tlaib getting all worked up and then causing everybody to go and storm the Rotunda building there on Capitol Hill. And they took it over. And by the way, looked a lot worse than that. Just saying. Wasn't as many people. So didn't get as much coverage. Of course, it didn't fit the narrative either. you got to remember that. There is a narrative, and they have a specific thing that they're looking for, so everything that plays to that, that's what's going to wind up on TV. Anyway, I, um, I want to turn to a, a few other stories here. I want to do remind you that we appreciate the sponsorship from LegacyPMInvestments.com, Legacy Precious Smells. Charles is going to be on the show November 2nd. That's next, oh, no, not next week, the following week. What, what did I say, November? December 2nd. Boy, oh, <laughs> it is November 22nd. We are a day before Thanksgiving. I hope you are going to have a wonderful, wonderful turkey dinner. Depending on who you talk to, turkey prices are either up or down. The RNC says your Thanksgiving dinner is going to cost more. The DNC says, guess what? It's going to cost less. Funny how they make that work. Anyway, if you're worried about inflation, you're looking to diversify your portfolio, these are the guys to call. They're really just a great team. one 589 Legacy Precious Metals. They are the ones. So silver, gold, you can, by the way, buy this stuff online as well with them. Silver or gold. Let me check gold prices today. You know, it's kind of a slow week in terms of both the news cycle and also in terms of Wall Street, except for the fact that we got some doozies out here. I mean, you've got this reported terror attack. Again, just Fox News has that. So I want to be cautious with that. I think, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. The FBI has not confirmed that. They're investigating still. What happened there at the Rainbow Bridge? They've closed the other bridges there in western New York. As a result, this is according to Erie County officials. So the news just coming in again, all of the all of the bridges there 
are closed that would connect with Canada there in Erie County. I've spent a lot of time there. I have family, as I said, from the region. And so I've been many times to both sides of the Niagara Falls border. I'm well aware and very familiar with the Rainbow Bridge and what you go through there. And the line, by the way, the line that you have to go through just to to go through security. It's gotten bigger and bigger in more recent years. I, I consider that a good thing. But anyway, really just sad to see that that all happened. Turning to another big story, because even though it should theoretically be a short week, hang on one second, I want to make sure I do give you guys the price of gold right now. Um, Gold actually at $19.91.50, so just shy of $2,000 an ounce. We've got uh, oil actually having traded down today 1.2%. The market up again, up a half a percent on the Dow Jones and four quarters of a percent on the S&P 500 NASDAQ, also higher. Basically, the thinking here is, oh, the Fed's done. The Fed's done. You know, we don't have to worry about the Fed hiking rates anymore. That'll give some wind to the sales, if you would, for the U.S. economy. We've got the 10-year yield on the Treasury bond. It's 4.4%, which is good news considering it was nearly at 5 well, good or bad, depending on if you wanted to buy 10-year treasuries or not, because you want the higher yield. But what this all suggests right now is that people are believing, the markets are believing that we're kind of going to get through this whole thing relatively unscathed. I will say this. It will be a miracle if that happens. It really, really will be a miracle if we do not have a recession, because the Federal Reserve has effectively done everything it could to really put a lot of inflation in place. And I don't know how you really unwind all of this or get out of it as easily as they think especially with this election coming. They don't want to have to raise rates later on because the Democrats will never forgive them, right? Because that'll hurt the economy. And then they'll say, well, you know what? It's all the Fed's fault. But I want to turn to another big, big, big business story. Any of you guys looking at this AI thing and chat GPT because it's like, whoa, my gosh, like this, this is like all over the mulberry bush. Guess what? Sam Altman, the founder and CEO of the company, who was ousted on, what, Friday of last week? He's back in. At like 1 in the morning, we got the news. Sam's back in town. He's back as CEO of the company. He's getting a new board. Larry Summers is going to be on that board. I actually consider that a good thing. And they are starting over, basically because there was the threat of immunity at the company. I mean, they only have like 700 employees and over 500 of them said, see ya, we're out of here. Microsoft had invested $17 billion in chat GPT. And so their investment was going to kind of go up in smoke. They brought Sam Altman when the board fired him in chat GPT. Open AI is the, is the main name of the company. They say, okay, we'll come over here, work at Microsoft. You can run a unit here, but it gets tricky. It gets tricky because there's a lot of intellectual property that would then be the property, right? Of chat GPT and open AI. And if you bring all 500 employees as well, still they have all that information. Can they just transfer it to a new company all while Microsoft flushes its 17 billion down the drain? I don't know. I mean, that would have been very, very tricky from a legal perspective. So it was in Microsoft's interest to basically get the guy back in the seat over at OpenAI, which they did, and get him the board that he wants. So now he's got Larry Summers. He's got a a couple others on there. And the question becomes, can you really have a board that's supposed to be protecting public interest in a company that's designed to make profits? I still don't think so. I mean, I think that you've got kind of this misalignment of capital and interests. It's a tricky thing. Brett Taylor is the former co-CEO of Salesforce. He's on the board. 
Larry Summers, former Treasury Secretary, also former uh, former head of Obama's National Economic Council. By the way, I think Larry's a really smart guy. Yeah, sure. OK, he's really lefty compared to me, but not even these days so much. I mean, he was ousted from Harvard because he said something about women in science that, you know what, people flipped out about. And this was even before cancel culture was really big and on steroids. So Larry has that experience literally himself. He he was Treasury Secretary and um uh, you know what? Like, that's good, right? Like, he's a, he's a smart guy, economically speaking. He's one of the few people out there that was willing to say, be careful to the Federal Reserve when they wanted to print all that money because he said, you know what's going to happen? It's going to be like, you know, Paris in August. Paris shuts down in August because everybody goes away on vacation. And boom, what happens in September when it opens up? Business gets back to rolling. He also said, you can think about it like Cape Cod or Martha's Vineyard. When we were shut down, in March 2020, which went on forever, right? The whole economy was shut down. He said, as soon as it opens back up, boom, you're going to have massive pent-up demand. And it was so obvious, right? Like it was just, I mean, I sat here pounding the table saying, what is the Federal Reserve doing over and over again to you guys? Like we're going to get inflation. The only other person that I know of that was doing this, and I was doing it before Larry, by the way, was Larry Summers. So I, I consider him a pretty smart guy. I think it's good to have him on the board. I just question whether or not you can have this board that is just concerned with public interest, right? It's like, it's kind of goes back to the ESG stuff. Like if you're a for-profit company, why are you sitting there saying, well, do we have enough diversity on our board and enough this on the board? No, you're supposed to say, can we make enough money? Thank you very much. For our shareholders, thank you very much. I don't care that, you know, you have purple hair and you're this, that, and the other. I only care that you have the raw intelligence and the experience to be able to do the jobs that you can guide our company and help us make a lot of money. And so as you get away from all those sort of normal things, right, that you'd want, you get things like, dun dun Bud Light. Bud Light, ladies and gentlemen. Should I play the Dylan thing for you again? <laughs> or the marketing executive that was too cool for school. I hate to pick on Harvard (laughs) unnecessarily. So, but the marketing executive, she went to Harvard, the CEO of Anheuser-Busch went to Harvard and the marketing director, the guy who was like above the woman that said, Oh, you know, it's just too fratty. Not sure that he went to Harvard, but I can tell you, He's out of a job right now. News recently that the head of marketing at Anheuser-Busch has quietly gone away. You know, spend more time with the family, that kind of thing. Anheuser-Busch, which has just suffered tremendously, tremendously, because somebody thought it would be a bright idea to completely remake the brand that happened to be the number one best-selling beer in America. Oh, because you know at Harvard they don't they don't really like those fratty guys. They they need to remake this and, and make it new and improved for the next generation, except that, you know, you can't ignore the people that brought you to the dance. <laughs> and I'm not just talking ignore, you can't like piss off, right? The people that brought you to the dance. And that's what Anheuser Busch remarkably did. So now the marketing executive that somehow was okay with some of these influencers that put that woman into her spot, he is now gone. Interesting, interesting. And, you know, it's like the story you've never heard of. His name, 
is Pinot Garb. He joined the company in 2021, so that was brief. And he's resigning at the end of this year in order to, quote, embark on a new chapter in his career. Hmm. Brandon Whitworth is the CEO, another Harvard guy. He said, and I quote, these senior leadership changes will accelerate our return to growth as we continue to focus on what we do best, brewing great beer for everyone and earning our place in moments that matter. Um, can, you, can you just make a good beer and try and sell it to the audience that wants it, right? I mean, it's not that hard. It's amazing when you look at how much money this company wiped out. You look at the stock price, and it's just stunning to see how something can just sort of be eviscerated overnight. Now, other companies haven't had this challenge. Nike, for example, hasn't, even though they hired the same influencer. Uh, you just haven't seen this as much. I mean, Disney's certainly had some challenges, and Disney's up against it in ways that make it really doubtful that the company's really, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Disney can pull it together. I mean, Nelson Peltz is out there trying to strong arm his way into the board and trying to force some change. They did hire the Pepsi CFO to try and get a hold of the books because, hey, when you're spending $330 million reportedly on a woke Snow White, that's not going to get to first base and actually has to be taken off the agenda. I mean, it's been postponed in, indefinitely, I guess, at this point. I mean, you spend that kind of money on something that nobody really wants to see and they're already angry about. Good luck, Disney. I mean, this is, you know, you can learn something here from Anheuser-Busch. Can you not? Which would be understand your audience. Know your audience. Respect your audience. And while you may try and change your products along the way, like you really can't just slam it in the face, which is what they effectively did to the people that had been drinking them historically. You know, I was amazed. So many of you actually wrote these tremendous stories to me. It was like books. I got paragraphs from you in some of the comments. And you're like, I remember the first time I ever had my first Bud or my first Bud Light. And all of you could kind of remember. It's like, it's very, very Americana. And yet they, they threw it all away. They threw it all away. Why? For, for wokeism. This is why I'm saying when you look at ChatGPT, and you look at what happened at Anheuser-Busch, you just have to like remember that the board needs to be aligned with the capitalist interests of the company. I understand AI is scary. I mean, I'm scared of it for probably different reasons than, say, the Biden administration is scared of it. I'm scared of it because of this woke insanity that's going on that's going to make it really, really unfair, right, for any normal person to to get from point A to point B because you twist yourself in knots at some point, you know, up is down, down is up and man is woman, woman is man, or, or, or then there are multiple like variations on that. Right. I do think that the BBC had some 200, some odd genders that they've identified. I mean, like, come on people. Like now we're just getting so confusing. We're going to tie ourselves in knots. And frankly, this has happened before. This has happened before with many a great civilization because what happens is at some point the civilization doubts itself so badly, doesn't know day from night, male from female, that it risks its own demise. And that's what we kind of have to protect against. So Anheuser-Busch is one example. This historian that I sometimes play for you, I love this quote because she said this back in 2015. This is a woman who is so left, she's basically right. Like she's getting canceled because like, you know, when the pendulum swings so far, she was so on the left. But I still think like left to right. And she, she speaks a lot of common sense in there. 
So her name's Camille Paglia. She's written a lot on gender and androgyny. This is what her dissertation was, as she'll say at Yale. But notice what she says about what happens to society. What happens to society when you lose a sense of who you are, when you don't know anything anymore, when you're questioning even the basics of male versus female, you're going to have problems. Proof of it. But now I began my all of my studies. My my book, Sexual Persona, began as a dissertation at Yale uh, Graduate School on androgyny. I've always been fascinated, attracted, you know, to the subject of androgyny, uh, and, and that's what sexual persona is. I explored it in history. But the the more I explored it, I realized that um, that historically, this uh, this uh, the movement toward androgyny occurs in late phases of culture. Okay, as a as if a civilization is starting to uh, unravel, okay, and that and you can find it again and again and again through history in the in, in the in the Greek art, okay, you can you can see it happening. All of a sudden, okay, there's a, there's a kind of uh, you know the the, the sculptures of of um, of handsome nude young men athletes that used to be very robust, okay, in the archaic period suddenly begin to seem like wet noodles, okay, toward the end, okay, and that uh, and that and that the people who 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 live in periods, a late phase of culture, whether it's, it's the Hellenistic era, whether it's the Roman Empire, whether it's, it's uh, the Mauve decade of Oscar Wilde in the 1890s, whether it's Weimar Germany, people who live in such times okay, feel that um, they're very sophisticated, they're very cosmopolitan, okay, and homosexuality, heterosexuality, so what, anything goes, and so on, All right, and so, and but, but we, from the perspective of, of historical distance, okay, you can see that it's a culture that no longer believes in itself, okay, and then, and, and then what you, what you in, invariably get are, are, you know, are, are, are people who are convinced of the power of heroic masculinity, okay, on the edges, whether they're the vandals and the Huns, okay, or whether, or whether they're the barbarians of ISIS, Okay, you see them, you know. Yeah, right. That's pretty fascinating. I think it's just really, really a great summation because I myself have been looking and looking and looking, trying to say, like, why is this happening right now? Like, what is there's a very good. I got to bring you guys this. Let me see if I can even just send you a little bit. Let's see if I can get it up. Probably not in time. But there's this really, really good interview with this man from 1984, he had just defected from the Soviet Union, and he actually wound up moving to Canada. And he was a former KGB agent, and he said, look, 85% of our time was spent trying to think about how we could demoralize America. Now, I'm not blaming Russia entirely for this, because I think that this is like any enemy of the United States would want this, right? You want to demoralize the U.S. You want to turn the U.S. against itself. I always said you know, with, with Hillary Clinton and the darn dossier thing and going on about how Russia stole the election all the time. I'm like, wait a second. She doesn't need our enemies doing anything to, to outwardly get us. She's doing it to us as a country herself. I mean, this is what transpired when, when you and they started it. They started it. I mean, we can play some of that sound for sure. Hillary Clinton over and over again. Jimmy Carter. You know, I, I feel bad. He just lost his wife, Rosalind. That happened the other day. I'm sorry for him. But Jimmy Carter was one of the first to actually get out there in a very, very big way and say that 
the Russians stole the election. I mean, think about that, guys. Think about what he was saying. I mean, you want to talk about demoralizing a nation. If you go back to the 1984 KGB defector saying that the KGB was working actively to demoralize the U.S. and cause the U.S. to doubt itself and its institutions. Heck, we didn't even need Russia doing that because we were doing it to ourselves. I mean... Oh, my goodness. Let me see. I got it. You know, Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter. I'm sorry, but this was unnecessary. And by the way, Jimmy Carter, isn't he the one that like runs some of those institutions in Latin America for election integrity? And he's got the Carter Institute to oversee all of that. And yet he was out there saying this. Unbelievable, you guys. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, ah, I got it. I got it. I got it. Here we go. There's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election, and I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election, and he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? (laughs) Based on what I just said, which I can't retract... Wow. Okay. So that was Jimmy Carter, and he kicked that off. All of a sudden, you know, Trump's an illegitimate president. He was put there by the Russians. Meanwhile, Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor of Georgia, well, she was really ticked off that she didn't win, and she kind of still thinks she did. And guess what? The media loves her for it. Look at this giant puff piece they did at the New York Times. I mean, this thing was just nauseating, absolutely positively nauseating. This whole big magazine piece on her. They had this big cover picture of her. And, you know, she she talks about her dating life. That's how nauseating it is, right? Like, we have to hear about Stacey Abrams and her dating life. They're just like, oh, we love you, we love you, we love you. And then they kind of said, hey, you know, what about... The fact that, you know, you were out there saying that President Trump wasn't legit, but then, you know, you're out there saying, I won in Georgia. And they they celebrate her for having said, I won in Georgia. So there's a total, total double standard here that is really uncomfortable, shocking, and frankly, dangerous. More of that double standard comes from the Clintons again, whom I'm going to show you, because just, I don't know, about six weeks before the 2020 election, Hillary Clinton went on a podcast with one of her former PR people, and she basically said, like, no matter what the votes are, you don't give up. Watch. You know, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances because... I think this is going to drag out, and eventually I do believe he will win if we don't give an inch. Oh, okay. Really? So you're just not going to give an inch? That's your strategy? I mean, that is very, well, Banana Republic-like. It tells me that you were going to go and you were going to fight this thing tooth and nail from a legal perspective, and yet because Donald Trump did that, he's now in all kinds of trouble and you're going to run with this narrative that he's going to ruin the country. He's going to destroy democracy. And again, I listen, I mean, I I do wish that I do wish that this could have been a 
bit of a cleaner exit, shall we say, from uh, from the White House, but um, nothing is entirely clean with him. Um, the policy's good. I, I got to tell you that the policy's good, and we need that policy, and we need somebody who's willing to stand up to the insanity of the moment right now. So he may be that guy. If he can get there, if he can get there, because I think you're going to hear over and over again some hysteria, hysteria out of the left. I mean, they, they're having their own situation right now because they get to deal with, you know, Rashida Tlaib and the splintering of the party that's being affected because people like Rashida, et cetera, are pushing this one narrative. And they're very, very, very angry at Biden for his support of Israel. By the way, very, very good news because some of those some of those people that were taken by Hamas have been rescued and I'm so happy about that but I don't trust the situation I just don't I don't think anybody should trust a terror organization so there's this 4-day ceasefire but I'm telling you Israel is going to be so on it you can't relax for a minute with them here's Rashida year old Wadiat did in Illinois. I can't believe I have to say this, but P- Palestinian people are not disposable. Okay, and then she starts crying and, and it goes on from there. What she can't seem to quite get, and I get it, she's from there, right? Which is why you got to really think long and hard about everybody that's coming here and what their own biases are. Do they want to subscribe to being an American and supporting our traditional allies, or are they still kind of, you know, in the bento box, as we talked about earlier, where they're going to section themselves off over here to the side and make a lot of noise and try and bring a lot over to that, that extreme side that they're on? I mean, we need a country that is sensible, that is logical, that is prosperous, that is a meritocracy, the meritocracy that we have always been. That is what has made us the United States of America and unique from any other place on earth. And yet you have a group of people that want to destroy it. And whether it's by design, as the guy from 1984, the Russian defector from the KGB suggests or not, whether China is deliberately trying to manipulate algorithms to hurt our young people or not, we got to be 10 steps ahead of everyone, okay? We've got to understand what we want as a country. Where do we want to be in 100 years? China has a 100-year plan. Where's ours? We don't have, we can't see beyond. I mean, heck, we're just too bogged down in what's going to be 2024. So we need to think for the long term. Thank you, Michael. Michael, joining us on Facebook. We are live right now. He said, keep saying this. I will. You know, this is, I feel very, very, very strongly about all of this. It's good to see so many. I've seen a lot of different people here as well. So I, I like that. I, I, Don, welcome back. He's, he's keeping an eye on all you guys. He keeps saying, like it, like it, like it, subscribe, subscribe. So Don, thank you for that. Thanks for for rallying the troops, so to speak. I love having you guys here. Do like it. It would be very, very wonderful for me. Leslie, good to see you back here as well. I hope everybody's looking forward to a great Thanksgiving. And let me tell you, Thanksgiving is an incredible time where, again, we're giving thanks and we're coming together. And even though they want to tell you something totally different and they want to tell you the pilgrims, like they killed all the Indians and this, that, and the other. I mean, that's not true. 
That's not the whole story. There's two sides to everything, remember? Pilgrims came here. They confronted some people who did not want them here. That would be the Native Americans. And so there were troubles that ensued. Yes, that's expectable. Guess what? The Pilgrims won. And there were times when they got along together. And the Thanksgiving meal is about those times that they got along. And they shared. And they shared knowledge and they shared food and they shared a desire for peace. So sure, no, it wasn't perfect, right? Like, you know what? Pilgrims showed up. The Native Americans were there. They were not happy. There were challenges that ensued. And this happened like throughout history, right? Even right as people were trying to settle West, they ran into this again over and over again. So yet when the left tells this right now, and somehow I think they've got another... I got another name for Thanksgiving, too. Did you guys see this? I should check my calendar. I just see Thanksgiving on my calendar. It must be the Google calendar. Let's check that. In all seriousness, what is the other name that they're trying to call Thanksgiving right now? Because, you know, everything's got to get rebranded and redone. And we have to remember how awful, awful, awful the pilgrims were. So, you know what? Like, my family came way later. We were not part of the pilgrims. <laughs> we, were, we were part of the Irish folks that uh, came during the potato famine. So we went through various challenges ourselves. But here it is, Native American Heritage Day. That's actually on Friday the 24th. So you have Thanksgiving Day. They're still leaving it Thanksgiving. We'll see for how long. And then it's Native American Heritage Day the next day. But Thanksgiving Day is about the coming together of the Native American population and the new population that came from Europe and they share and they grow and they have this feast. And I think that's a pretty good message. Yes, they had challenges. Yes, they fought. Yes, the Europeans had diseases and brought those with them that then, you know, the, the Native Americans didn't have protections against smallpox, things like that. But you know what? Is, are we going to sit there and blame the Europeans forever? Like the leftist extremists want us to do? No, we ought to celebrate what we have become today. And this moment in time, Thanksgiving Day, is about giving thanks to our roots and to peaceful times and to working with other people that at times might have been perceived as enemies. But we, we worked through it because we were able to find some common ground. And why don't we teach that? That seems to me to be a way better lesson than, oh, you know, those big bad pilgrims. They came here and they killed everybody. And you know what? You're going to pay for it for the rest of your life. Generations of your family, regardless of whether or not you came here or not, right? Like you're, you're, the, you're the one that colonized America. Your race colonized America. Therefore, you know, you're, you're the big bad ugly American. That's not a healthy message. Let's focus on the good stuff the times in history where we rose to the occasion because it is always America that does. And let's remember that. And all those Europeans that kind of hate themselves and hate us, you know what? They'd all be speaking German today if it weren't for the United States of America. Don't forget that. What would have happened to America if the Europeans hadn't come? I don't know. But you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to try and see the glass as half full 
while being an informed person by recognizing challenges and understanding that there are two sides, hello, to everything. So don't give me one narrative without the other. Don't give me Nancy Pelosi's January 6th tapes that were shot by her daughter, Alexandra, without showing me the rest. I've been waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. The footage was shot by filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, the speaker's daughter, for an HBO documentary. She was with her mother as she fled the Capitol. Hear the music. We have got to get finished the proceedings. Later, she can be heard checking in with Vice President Mike. In other words, you hear the music, you hear the verb choice, even the reporter fled the Capitol. In other words, that is a narrative. And you were shown that narrative without ever seeing any of the just normal footage that also exists. So I would just say this, you know what? The jury's out until we see it all, guys. We need to see it all because there are two sides to everything. And for you to present one side as though it's the gospel truth without showing America the rest, for you to sit there and tell us, you know, we're all bad because of whatever happened zillions of years ago at Thanksgiving, instead of actually recognizing the good things that came out of working together with the Native American population. I'm sorry, it's just one side of the story, and I'm not having it. Not as a journalist, not as an American. It is great to have you here. Thank you so much. Don, thank you for encouraging everybody to subscribe. Leslie, thank you for being here again. I hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um <laughs> a wonderful Thanksgiving. I, I see you talking about Biden pardoning the turkey. I know, you know, poor, poor Joe, poor Joe. But what are you going to do? But you know what? There's not that much time left. We just have to hope that there's not that much damage. Because when I look at the economy, when I look at what's happening internationally, when I look at the border, when I look at what happened today, and again, we don't have all the details on this, but Fox News reporting, and it's what many of you tuned in to hear initially, Fox News reporting that, in fact, that this is believed to have been an actual terror attack. Listen, we've, we've we got challenges up ahead. News just crossing as well just six minutes ago that the hostages there in Israel will not be released until at least Friday. So that's not good either. I told you I didn't trust it. I don't trust the situation at all. And I don't trust the leadership in terms of their own ability, their own capability. I mean, I I don't think that they have the A-team on staff. Steve, thank you so much. Look, I, I love you guys. I love you guys too. Did I put that up? I thought I put it up. I tried to put your comment up, but you know, we're, 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 uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Bear with me. We have more team members coming on very, very soon. So, you know, the operation is growing in part thanks to all of your support and all of your help. So thank you for that. Do subscribe if you haven't. Share it. Let people know that I'm here. We're here every day live. And then we, we, we chop it up and we put out the clips. And so you can see all those too. Share these, like these, comment. I do read all your comments, guys. So make sure you comment below and we'll keep the conversation going offline. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'll probably take tomorrow off. I'll probably, I, you know, we got a lot of turkey to eat. I'm going to go see my sister. I'm going to hang out with the kids. I'm looking forward to it. Little family time. We got to get the Christmas tree too. That's a Friday activity, Friday activity. I got all the decorations set, ready to go. Boom. Just going to turn on the lights. They're all there. All the advent candles, everything. 
So that's happening as well. I, I hope you're getting your Christmas decorations up and ready too. Thank you everyone for being here, for listening and all your support. I want to wish you a wonderful Thanksgiving and we'll talk on Friday.